Hello, everyone, and welcome to the On Fire Tech Trailblazers podcast. We're taking a slightly different turn today. Um, normally, we speak with judges, although to be advised with regards to this, well, the judges on fire and the founders on fire um, video and podcast. So um, I'm delighted to welcome somebody that we've known for a long time and has always been very, very supportive of what we're doing here at the Tech Trailblazers. So we, but we may have news that he may be getting slightly more involved. Um, it's Gerald Brady, who's joining us from Silicon Valley Bank. Hello, Gerald. How are you? Rose, hi. Great to see you. Happy afternoon to you. Yeah, Good happy morning, morning anyone in the US. <laughs> happy morning to you. So um, obviously, we're still working from home, unless the Silicon Valley Bank uh, offices have changed a little bit since the last time we met. Still at home. Very good. Very good. So obviously, one of the things that we'd like to do, or I'd like to do with you, is just to find out a little bit more about yourself, um, and then talk a little bit about Silicon Valley Bank. And obviously, most people, I would imagine, who are listening to this, if they're familiar with the tech startup world, will be familiar with Silicon Valley Bank. But I always think it's nice to get a little bit of an update and perhaps an, an internal perspective from your viewpoint because you've been there for a little while. So if you'd like to tell uh, us a little bit about, you know, who you are, where you come from and what you're doing there as Silicon Valley. Sure, sure. Uh, so um, I think my career kind of falls bluntly into kind of three quite distinct buckets, but all within technology, but within different parts of the technology ecosystem. So um, I... Started in sales in the tech world and then joined a startup called Yahoo in 96, which was really my first experience of actually moving into the startup world. And that, that was a great exposure. And obviously, being part of Yahoo in 96 was a great experience and really seeing the inside of a, a high growth company. And then uh, I joined 3i. And that was the shift into uh, venture. Um, and so I'd come out of business school. I went to Cranfield and, and joined 3i out of uh, business school. And that was really an incredible learning experience. And really the 3i model of um, learning by doing and, and that exposure to all the startups that you could see. And of course, at that point, there was no specialization in, in the UK you were just doing tech deals and whatever came across your desk. And, and at that point, 3i and Apex were the dominant investors in, in the UK and Europe. And then I was very fortunate uh, in 2000, they sort of um, asked me if I'd like to move to the US um, as part of the um, office opening in, in San Francisco. And they had an office in, um, in Boston as well. And so we made the move in the peak of the market to San Francisco. Um, and uh, so we saw the boom and bust pretty quickly. Um, and what was really interesting about that was, again, being re recognizing you're within a startup inside a corporate in a new market and also really in the heart of Silicon Valley. And so suddenly there was a lot of learnings we can touch on there of just doing that experience. And then in 03, I left and went to Siemens and I ran the early stage venture group for Siemens in the States. And again, now another step inside a mammoth corporate with, at the time, 400,000 staff. And then um, in late 2009, I joined Silicon Valley Bank, um, who I'd known from uh, my both 3i and, and Siemens days. And um, the bank has just been 
an incredible experience in terms of funding the innovation economy, our own growth. I and mean, we're continuing as a 40-year-old company almost to grow like a startup at the moment. And so we've had an incredible experience. We've gone into more industry sectors. We've added geographies. We've added products. So we've been a, a real growth story uh, as a, a 40-year-old business. Um, and that's been fantastic. So we, we're very fortunate. We're a full bank, as you know, in the UK, Rose, and then operating in other countries in Europe and Israel. And we're a full bank in China as well. Um, and today we're banking about half of all venture-backed companies in the States and about 70% of VC firms. And so we've uh, a, a good finger on the pulse of what we think is happening in the innovation economy. Yeah, definitely. And I know you do some good reports in that sort of sector as well, the yeah. trends that are coming up. And I'm going to grill you on some of the things that you're seeing coming sure. through. Um, so, yeah, you've talked a little bit about Silicon Valley Bank. Um, and so what can you kind of explain? Because you've got an interesting role within the bank as well, haven't you? I have. Yeah. And, and over the years, I've held a, a variety of different roles. Um, so for the last five years, I've been building our CXO community. Yeah. Um, so focusing really on the CIO, CTO, chief security officer and that network um, and how we really help connect both the venture community and our clients to prospective buyers mm. and, and really that connective tissue between startup world and corporate world. Mm. Um, and, and you understand this, Rose, you know, sometimes it's two companies speaking or two organizations or two individuals speaking a foreign language. Yeah, how do you sell as a startup to a large corporate? How do you as a large corporate work effectively with a startup? And just trying to help each other understand the way that they interact, um, which doesn't sound hard, but can be pretty challenging. And again, you know, just even scale, recognizing that you know, a startup can make a decision like that and a big company isn't going to move that fast. They have processes and procedures and they have, um, whether it's kind of regulatory scrutiny, et cetera, to go through compliance, et cetera. So we're really helping that bridge. But what's interesting is that the big companies recognize increasingly they need help. Um, and often the big technology suppliers that they've worked with for years just aren't going to be able to help them with some of the, the modern technology solutions they're looking for. So it's been a great experience. It's been great fun building that community with the bank. And we're doing that with many of our venture friends as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a very interesting challenge. It's something that I've been banging on about for boring everybody with uh, my view on the importance of not just the VC as a source of funding, but actually one of your biggest investors is your customers. So particularly if you've got large ones as well. So, yeah, so that's very exciting. And, yeah, I look forward to hearing more about what's happening there. So you really do have your finger on the pulse of both the VC side of things and also what's happening for enterprise technology decision makers, which is super important for, um, you know, the, the startups that we're, we're talking to. So from that perspective, you know, we talked a little bit last year about some of the trends that you were seeing and obviously AI machine learning were some of the things that you you picked up on as being, you know, very important and was very much borne out when we look at the the submissions to our, our AI category. They, you know, they, the AI trailblazers, you know, 
has gone up the leaderboard considerably and is now sort of nibbling at the heels of security and cloud. But we're also seeing that there's a lot of AI in all of those other categories as well, the the role that that's playing in that. So, you know, it's all become a little bit more of a fusion where AI is kind of pervading into all aspects of that. Yeah. So aside from that, I mean, what do you see as being interesting as you, you know, what's 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 the burning sort of challenges that you are seeing within your CIO uh, and CXO community that you're chatting with? Yeah. Um, and we can riff on this as much as you want, Rose. I think one of the things that's that's kind of interesting is, you know, the the, the pre-COVID conversation yeah. and where we are today. Yeah. And I think, you know, you've probably seen the cartoon of, you know, what drove your digital transformation? Was it the CIO or, or COVID? Hmm. And I think for a lot of large organizations, COVID's really been the accelerator. It's hmm. really forced a lot of change in terms of both technology adoption, the speed of technology adoption, Mm. but also, and this is where I think we've seen a lot of shift around a remote workforce. We've all, whether we like it or not, lived on Zoom for the last 15 months. Um, We've all worked from home, Um, you know, certainly for me, since March last year. I've visited the office once uh, in, in uh, in just over a year. Um, and not sure when I'll next go back into the office. So, and I think that what that has done is it's um, driven the adoption of things like collaboration tools. We were very fortunate as an organization, we'd moved to Microsoft Teams the year before. But I think for a lot of companies, the first thing they were focused on, other than employee safety, was what tools have we got that we need in place? So whether it was video conferencing system, collaboration tools, remote collaboration tools, um, even things like you know Wi-Fi for employees. You know, have the employees got the right infrastructure at home? Have they got the right Wi-Fi set up at home? And then all of the ancillary things that come with that, Rose. Mm. What security vulnerabilities have we now got because we've got a different attack vector now? Everyone's at home. The vulnerability of the laptop uh, at home, et cetera. So I think we have seen, first and foremost, uh, an enormous boom in enterprise software. Um, And if you look at what happened in the the venture industry, really from March last year, um, and this is pretty much true around the world, when COVID hit and we all went into lockdown in in, um, Europe and the US, we all assumed this could be a pretty bad scenario for everything. Mm. And in reality, the, the venture deal slowed for about six or eight weeks, no more than that. And then people started seeing many corporates are still spending. Um, they're having to invest in technology. Their um, laptop sales were just staggering. There's one company we talked to who said, they had 50,000 people around the world in uh, call centers. And they said they had to, so everyone would come into a, an office with a desktop PC for call centers and said, we had to order 50,000 laptops and get them installed in people's homes as within a week. And so you've seen this massive surge of uh, technology sales, you know, laptop sales were through the roof last year. So it, it's been, um, quite a staggering year to see 
some of the, the, the growth in enterprises. And that's not to say it's been great for everyone. Yeah. And I recognize that, you know, it's clearly been an incredibly challenging year for everyone. And maybe off topic for a second, Rose, but I do think the one other thing that I've heard CIOs and CTOs and, and senior corporate executives talk about more than anything has been employee welfare and mental health through this. Oh. And I think they've recognized that first and foremost, um, are the employees okay? Are they really doing okay? And so you've started to see more companies employ tools like Calm and other mental health tools. I think there's much more um, check-ins going on through um, emails and companies just saying, okay, you're remote. Are you okay? Are your family okay? And I think that you know, the, the work-life balance conversation has been, well, you know, am I working from home or living at work? Hmm. And I think that's been, you know, interesting for companies because we've all gone through it. This this is not discriminated across the workforce. Not everyone in every position has really had a good time through this. So again, just kind of trying to make sure, you know, employees are okay. So you've seen the 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 CIOs and CTOs get involved in tools and applications like Calm, et cetera, in the, in the workforce, which you wouldn't normally see a CIO say, hey, you know, we need to be looking at these tools, but they, they really have been doing that now. Hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, I, I use Headspace personally, but yep. you know, obviously you say milk. Um, and yes, and I think it is a really important. In fact, we've just had, um, I think it was last week, Mental Health Week, um, I think it's really important and I think, you know, that, that's interesting because I think it's also very prevalent in a startup community as well because they are very kind of a, adrenaline sort of living on Red Bull type of scenarios where, you know, it's a very, very fast pace. And one of the reasons they can maintain it is because they have that team element. Yeah. When you remove that team element, then you're you, you kind of in a sort of a weird sort of like the, the legs are still spinning around and suddenly you realize that well, where's everybody else? What's going on? And yep. being disconnected when you're trying to put so much effort into something is, is kind of pretty interesting. And I think, you know, having spoken to a lot of people, you know, everybody's had good times, everybody's had bad times. And, you know, if you are part of a team, then hopefully you balance one another out. And yeah. I think this takes us on to an interesting part of another conversation we were having before we pressed record or I pressed record was around the whole diversity element and diversity of teams. And uh, so I don't know, does that, is that a good segue or would you like to say a little bit more? Sure. No, I mean, I think it's a great segue. And, you know, I live in the, in the US, Rose. And, and so, you know, the, there's just no denying the impact of um, Black Lives Matter um in in the us last year um and and the tragic events um i think really affected a lot of people here um and i think it's really um propelled accelerated um the conversations inside organizations with friends um about just the disparity of um growing up if you're um of an, another color other than me as a, a white middle-aged uh, guy in America. And I think that's really interesting. And, and I also think particularly, you know, in the last few months here, 
we've also not just seen the rise in Black Lives Matter, but also I'm really shocked to see it, but the Asian hate crimes uh, in in America. Um, And that's been a a shock for, for many people to see that and experience that. So I do think that these conversations and awareness have mattered way more um, than ever before. Um, and I think we're mm. uh, we're certainly talking about it as an organisation. I think that the funds are talking about it. I think there's a much more concerted effort about saying, you know, we as, as corporates have a role in this. Uh, we stand by our, our, our colleagues. We talk about allyship. But it's also... What do we do other than talk about this? How do we change the conversation? How do we encourage more diverse founders? And when I talk about diversity, it's all aspects of diversity. You know, it's gender, it's um, sexual orientation, it's skin color, it is every neurodiversity. You know, we've talked about because you know it, we've got to represent the the whole world. It's not just me. Um, that that we need to be both funding and supporting. And it's also not just the entrepreneurs, but it's also the investors need to also be representative. You know, and I'm talking to you as a woman, Rose, but I think there's less than 3% of investors are female still. Mm. Women still raise a very small percentage of, of venture funding. Um, and, and again, there's plenty of stories here, but where female executives pitch an all-male audience about a product, often it's like, well, you, of course you're not going to understand it. You're not my audience. Hmm. So I do think that we're starting to see, um, well, we're, we're clearly seeing much more focus in terms of the funds themselves diversifying their, their investors. I think the LPs, the, the limited partners in funds, um, are also expecting and demanding more diversity and putting money into more diverse funds and targeting those funds. And you're seeing that come from pension funds. You're seeing that come from corporates who are both investing in those communities and saying, hey, we've got a mandate to support diversity, inclusion, and equity in the, in the, in, in the community as well. So I do think we're starting to see some real change. And I do think that this is a conversation, certainly I know it's happening in, in the UK and Europe as well. Uh, it's not just here. Um, so I do think, um, as hard as it is, I think it is, uh, the, the conversations are real. Um, and I do think that we are starting to see some real change. It's always frustratingly slow. These things take time. It takes time to raise money. It takes time to deploy money, but I do think we are starting to see some progress. Good. Good. And I think it's interesting you talk about the impact of Black Lives Matter in the States in particular. Obviously, there's been you know huge impact over here as well, thankfully. But I think that it's actually troubled people more because in reality, our lives were so focused on the news and social media, not on going out for, you know, with your friends for a restaurant and finding out, you know, how their job's going and because this is the type of topic which, you know, there's been like an absolute, you know, waves and waves and waves of it. And it has, you know, quite rightly, you, you couldn't escape it in the way that you could when you had a normal life because it's been so 
so present through the the news and and obviously people you know seeing the reactions and the 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 powerful both positive and also negative elements of that so i think it's been really kind of like put under a microscope due to covid i oh, yeah. i wonder whether you know if i know obviously i think it would have had a huge impact but i wonder if the impact would have been so huge if we'd have all been just trottling about our normal, you know, day-to-day business. And so I think it's accelerated that. So it's not just digital transformation we're looking at. We're looking at cultural, societal transformation, which has been to a degree accelerated. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's very fair. And I do think that um, we're, we're in a much more connected world. Um, and particularly when, you know, we're, we're, none of us are really going out very much, or at least up until you know a few weeks or months ago, that was the case. And I do think that um, it it was impossible to ignore the stories here. It was you 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 couldn't ignore it, and and sadly, you know, it wasn't one isolated event. We just had a series of tragic um, deaths here. Um, and I think that's again, sadly, you know, we continue to see incidents here as well. So yeah, we know that that um, is continuing to be an issue. Mm. Um, I'm I'm an optimist by nature. I'm optimistic that this is uh, as painful as it is. You know, cha- changes uh, coming, um, and and it's it is never easy. But I do think we are starting to see change, and I think the first part of that is having the conversation and I do think that you know there is just more openness and willingness to do it as hard as it is Hmm. and and if you're seeing in both the you know the investment community the startup community you know statistically not statistically but research wise we've always been you know for a good number of years there's been sort of very firm evidence that more diverse teams produce better companies better products Absolutely. Better working environments. Better, yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's a reason why we're all different, right? Yeah. Because that's what's needed, are different skills in different areas. And, you know, if we kind of cookie-cutter just the same type of person again and again and again, you're... What a boring world we'd be in, Rose, if we, you know, we're all like me. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't go that far. I'd be more than happy to see a few more gels running around. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is enjoyable to to spend time with people from different backgrounds who have had different experiences. And if you're a global company, you, you, you're selling to a diverse world. So, I mean, you know, if you're not re- representative of your customer base, you're already narrowing your opportunity as well. Um, and I do think, you know, again, maybe tying this back into technology, yeah, there's a lot of debate, for example, of, you know, if if you've got software that's developed by an all-male, all-white developer base, you know, do you see bias being put into AI, for example? Mm. You know, so some of these kind of conversations are actually, well, you know, are you capturing, you know, diversity in software development? Mm. So I do think that this is, Something that 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 is a a real conversation. Well, I hope we can do a little bit better than the automotive industry, who still have seatbelts that strangle me. 
<laughs> because do you know what I mean? And there are just so many elements that they're designed. Things are designed for the customer, the end user, to be a particular way. And yeah. if that end user is not the same as the person who developed it, how does how do they really understand what is required? So yeah. yes, I think there's there's a there's a definitely a very powerful element to that. And and I think. That takes us actually into, I think we're doing very well with the segues. I haven't even set any of these ones up with you, Gerald. We're obviously a natural pair. We'll have to start a radio show. Um, from that point of view, if we look forward, because, I mean, it's been a very, very challenging, yet, you know, out of that, there have been, you know, like they say, you could burn down the forest and, and the new streets, new shoots grow. Um, I'd rather they didn't have to do it in quite such a dramatic way but we have what we have and sort of moving forward if we look you know once we've hopefully you know we're starting to see the shoots and we're starting to see the forest grow again and life you know never back to normal but shall we say have the elements of normality that we want to to get back to and perhaps keep some of the things which we didn't have before um what would what do you think technology is going to look like? What's enterprise tech going to look like, say, in ten years' time? Wow, um, I mean, it's one. so interesting. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about you know technology in, in ten years, mm. I mean, it's pretty incredible. You know, we wouldn't be doing this ten years ago. Um, you know, the the iPhone's twelve years old. You know, so I mean, I think we've kind of got. Um, it, it, in some ways, very hard to predict. You know, historians will say it's really easy to look back. It's super hard to look forwards and predicting the future. If I was really good at it, I'd be running a hedge fund. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's, I mean, I think some things will be obvious. I think we'll see more HD quality on products. I think we'll see, I do actually think that as a society, we'll see more hybrid working. Um, so um, that that work-life balance between home and work, and the pros and cons about that. I think we all crave the the, the human connection, and I don't think that goes. But I think the way we work will probably be different. Where we work is certainly changing. I think the the view that you know if you, if you're in London and your office is in London, that's where you have to be. And I think people are like, well, you know, I don't really have to do that. So. I think you'll see more more flexibility around the workforce. It's inevitable that security is going to continue to be a major focus within enterprises. I think a lot of companies are, and this is a kind of conversation I had with a few companies recently and, and some in the UK, which is, you know, if you're coming from, let's say, a traditional retail world, or you've got that particular brand experience where you're known for customer service, how how do you take that? and translate that into an amazing digital experience. Mm. And, and I think that's something that clearly uh, is, is hard to translate, but the hard problems are what's also the opportunity for people to think about that. Um, I think, um, again, hard to predict in terms of human behavior um, what will happen, but certainly my expectation is in at least the next couple of years, you are going to see uh, the, the world really want to be out with each other. 
whether it's traveling, bars, restaurants, social life again, because we've all been held mm. captive inside our four walls. So I think you're going to see um, maybe the roaring 20s is the phrase a lot of people are talking about. So potentially we are actually in for a, a, a super cycle. And mm. also even in the UK or the US, you've also had massive consumer savings. Mm. You know, most people haven't bought clothes. Now, car sales, on the other hand, booming, except for chips. So, you know, it's, again, hard to predict some of the societal impact of of this. Um, But I do think that if you think about some of the interfaces, I mean, as much as we kind of hate Zoom, for example, you know, it is interesting to kind of think about, you know, what what that kind of video interface might be like for for us in in the coming few years. Um, and I think that interactivity will will continue to evolve and change. And as you think about you know, the knowledge integrating AI into some of this, again, I think that's going to be pretty interesting. I think we are two two trends I'd talk about, Rose. Oh. I think we are really, really just at at the start, the American term, the first base um, of of really seeing the impact of AI. Um, And I I view this, uh, uh, and again, if I take my optimistic nature, I don't think this is something that's going to destroy jobs. I think it's going to make work more meaningful for people. There's a lot of boring repetitiveness in jobs, lots of data entry, and actually the AI tools helping people focus less on that and being able to automate some of that and actually get them to focus on more meaningful work. That's a positive. So I do think that AI will potentially actually make work more enjoyable for people. Um, I worry less I'm old enough, Rose, to remember that people were panicking about the PC revolution 40 years ago. Turned out that didn't destroy jobs. It just changed jobs. So I'm pretty confident that we'll continue to see that evolve. I think how we all consume information is also shifting. You know, my my son's about to go to college. You've got a, a son that's, you know, that age as well. At, certainly in the next three to five years. I doubt he's going to buy a TV anytime soon. He lives, his news is all on this. Oh. Um, the, the, the way we consume information, you know, is, is clearly changing, but also it's our entertainment ecosystem as well. So I think it, it, it's pretty hard outside of AI to say what else is coming. AI, for sure. The other one um, I'll throw out there, Rose, which I think could be a real game changer is I do think we will see real quantum computers in use in the next five years. And I think that there's a lot of people saying, oh, you know, it's been the year of quantum computers for 30 years and they've never come. But I actually think that we, we, are, we are on the cusp of um, real will quantum technology coming to us. And I think what that can do in terms of just processing capabilities and the impact that has in terms of speed of transaction, um, whether it's, you know, content, uh, trading, 
um, massive amounts of data being processed, you know, the ability to do this in high high def, et cetera. I, I, I think we will see a massive, massive shift. And that's where, you know, the UK is out of Cambridge, for example, you know, there's some amazing things happening in the UK. The UK is in a really strong position in quantum. The government's got a quantum fund now. So I do think there's some really interesting things. And in 10 years, I do think that uh, we we won't be talking about if it, it will be real. Hmm. Well, yeah, certainly a very exciting time, very exciting time from, from that perspective. And, and in that sort of view, um, what do you think the startups are going to look like? Because we've undoubtedly seen some shifts in in their world based on some of the conversations we've been having, both you know in the podcast, right, the you know the video interviews, and just generally speaking, what we're hearing from our tech trailblazers, you know, both the, the recent ones and, and the, you know the ones that have been around in, in the the tech trailblazers community for a bit longer. But certainly things like, you know, fundraising, remote teams, you know, the requirement for a physical office um, to the same in the same way as it was before, they all seem to be changing. But I'm sure that you've seen other stuff as well. So, you know, bearing in mind, you know, where have they got to now and, and where do you think that might then take them if we've sort of started this sort of shift of you know, what the expectations are versus what the reality can be? Yeah, there's a couple of things there. So firstly, I think um, what what COVID has taught us is that um, there was a belief, I think, for a lot of people that unless you're in the office, you're not productive. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that perception, particularly in corporate America and, and other large corporates, that's gone. Mm-hmm. Productivity did not go down at all. So I think that um, for a lot of people, that that is a change. I also think that um, where talent is matters way less than ever before. So I do think we're kind of seeing that flattening of organisations. And I do think we'll see investors care way less, particularly as we look out over the next five, 10 years, there used to be this view of if I can't drive to the company, I'm not going to invest in it. You know, it was one of those things, even in the UK, it was like, well, if you're in Cambridge, I really need you to be in London. Or if you're in Oxford, I really need you to be here because I want to be close to you. And that was only 30 or 40 miles that we were talking about. And I think that's gone. I really think that's gone. Now, it doesn't mean that um, relationships don't matter. They absolutely matter. But I do think that the the view that geography is the t- determining factor on, on where companies are, that's gone. I think we're also going to see much more distributed workforce. And rather than say, hey, you know, um, talent needs to come to me, I think companies will say, let's go to where the talent is. And I don't care where the talent is anymore. And particularly in hard technology skill areas where there's maybe real gaps of, you know, there's maybe 10 or 20 or 30 people in the world that have these skills. I think companies have um, already accepted that. It's like, look, I don't care if you want to stay in Wyoming or you want to work in the Hebrides, I don't care. As long as you've got a broadband connection, I'm fine with that. Hmm. And I think that the the reality is we've all um, seen 
employees certainly here you know move to different parts of the country be comfortable working across time zones and geographies and i think that's changed now what that doesn't mean is that you know culture doesn't matter it absolutely matters and we do need to kind of continue to focus on building that corporate culture and startup culture but how we do that will be slightly different for sure hmm. um and also i suspect the reality is that we still need to come together it just might not be five days a week every week of a month hmm. and i think we'll probably see much more hybrid working it's also um and you know if you look at people like um gitlab for example hmm. which has been remote from day 1 and really one of the pioneers of all remote what they will say is it doesn't save money because we spend money getting people together to build cohesion and and relationships and so i do think it's you know the driver isn't necessarily say hey you know we don't have our office expenditure anymore because we still have to get people together to build that and right now as of today i would say nothing replaces relationships mm. like in person yeah it's just way harder to do that over a screen you know i'm i'm looking at you now rose and i'm kind of getting the you know i can see you perfectly but the jitter and buffer it's still there yeah and and i think particularly i mean you and i are on this if we have got 20 faces on a screen rose it's no, way I'm... harder to read an individual face on that so i think that you know, we will still want to be together we are we are naturally as as humans you know, a social species and so we want to have that connectivity i think that's really important i hope i think i believe we will see much greater diversity in both the investors and the founders in in these companies hmm I also think that over the course of the next decade for sure that mm. entrepreneurship is something that I think is going to become much more of a curriculum conversation in schools and college because the reality is that most people don't end up working in large companies they often work in small companies they're self-employed etc and you know if you're an architect how do you become entrepreneurial if you're a fashion student how do you become entrepreneurial you you you're not those are small companies at the end of the day so i think we we have to kind of encourage that and for economies to thrive you need a thriving economic base of entrepreneurs to do that so i think seeing support for entrepreneurship matters and then tying it one step back i also think that you know it it's incumbent upon all of us whether it's you know government companies society to encourage stem mm. yeah i think it's really going to be very hard for cities countries communities to have a thriving economy if they don't have a thriving stem base in school and so again you know making sure that you know we're not leaving kids behind we're not under investing in stem in in schools making sure that um you know everyone's got access to that opportunity and i think that'll be a really big focus for us over the ne- next decade as well. Mm. And hopefully we can all be part of that conversation as well because i know the tech industry is there's always a skills gap because skills keep changing and you know you lose people 
for whatever reasons and and then you've you've already got a deficit and then you've got to kind of bring everybody along so it, it is a an ongoing challenge and I don't think we're ever going to say hey yeah we've got rid of the skills gap because oh look there's another one <laughs> there's another one and the skills are constantly evolving and changing as well um and I think that's you know again we're off topic here Rose but you know I think that the 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 Schools I see today are really trying to develop lifelong learners. I think companies are looking at the, the, the workforce of, of the future and saying, we need you to be adaptable. We need you to be lifelong learners. The skills you get in college, you know, what, what programming skills you have today, they're going to be redundant. Now, the language you're trained in might, might not exist, but the, the ability to learn that next language or that next technique, you need that ability. You need to encourage that. So I do think there'll be a much greater focus on on lifelong learning for that. Yeah. Well, I think it, it, it's part of the joy of being in the tech business because you do have to keep learning because there's always something new. You know, you know, it may be based on some of the stuff that you understand and you have a bit of foundation in it, but it's still a it's still a new element and that's what makes it exciting. And I think that's one of the reasons why we both enjoy this industry so much. Absolutely. So uh, no, it's 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 absolutely um, enthralling to see you know the impact of technology and and look, there's clearly some societal issues that come out of this as well. But I do think that um, our world is better for it. And and again, you know, we're focused really just on the technology side. But you know, if you look at the impact of technology in healthcare, or the impact of technology on cars, or the impact of technology on energy. Yeah, I do think that, you know, we're seeing an incredible amount of change across all our lives in every aspect of that as well. Mm. And I think that's one of the things about diversity is that the fact that tech is in every part of our lives. So you don't have to necessarily be tech first. You could be energy or, you know, ecologically first, but there'll be a technology element of it. I mean, we, we, we were talking to some people who were coming up with wave you know, energy and how that was impacted and how they were making a difference in it. But that's, that's you know, okay, it might not all be tech in our world, but it's certainly engineering. And there's certainly lots of elements about, you know, those aspects of the, and, and, and all of those readings would be being analysed by technology. So, yeah, you know, sure. it would be all very well having the nuts and bolts, but you also need to understand, you know, the stress and the strains that they were being put under. And, you know, what's the optimum, you know, structure and all of those different elements. So, you know, regardless, whatever your passion is, whether it's fashion, architecture, you know, build, you know, not just buildings, but, you know, society itself, you know, the, the, the impact of social media, of all of these other things. So we talked about lots of elements here about the investment community, about obviously the impact of COVID and, and diversity and how important that is. So prior to us um, recording this, we also had a conversation about some stuff that we're doing on the Tech Trailblazers, which is a little bit new. Um, we like to try and um, bring in what we feel are relevant categories that may resonate in the marketplace and obviously have some benefit. Um, and hopefully, you know, spotlight some interesting things that are happening in our amazing ecosystem. And two of the things are actually something, two things that are actually very close to you. So um, the Diversity Trailblazer, which we're looking at, you know, how the industry is 
pushing forward the diversity, equality, and you know inclusion element. Um, and I was talking with Joe Bagley about that, as he likes to put his analogies about going to a dance, being invited, being made feel welcome, and and then actually sort of feeling like you can actually get involved and have a good jive. So, um, and and also investment trailblazers. So looking at what's changing and what's innovative in the investment space. And I think those two probably sit very closely together and obviously very close to your heart. So I'm very pleased to give ourselves our own exclusive, which is that you're coming on board as one of our judges to look at that those two areas with us and for us. Yeah, I'm delighted to. I mean, I think these are um, really important categories, you know, particularly I think as, as as we've been chatting about, you know, the advent of, of Black Lives Matter. And uh, I think that's really important. But I also think that um, you, you've got to take a stand. And I think, you know, advocating for more diverse founders, more diverse um, investors, that's super, super important. So I'm delighted to be involved and help support some of the things that you're doing, Rose. Fantastic. Well, we're delighted to have you on board. And I think that gives us a fantastic wrap up as well. Always good to end on a high after the year that we've had. We certainly need to be focusing on the positives. And it's always positive to chat with you, Gerald. It's always a pleasure. So thank you. you. Right. Brilliant. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening and watching. And uh, if you'd like to find out more about the Tech Trailblazers, please visit us at techtrailblazers.com. Follow us on Twitter at at Tech Trailblaze, no R, no S, or find us on LinkedIn. Thank you very much. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye now.